Welcome to The Bear and the Ball. I am your host, Nick Webster, and I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend, Jim Madrid, the founder of the AST Academy. Last week, Jim and I were talking about vision driving performance. This week, we are going to get into the subject of culture. But first, welcome, Jim Madrid. I hear that you're on the other side of the country today, not in fabulous Los Angeles. No, I'm not in, well, Orange County, but I am uh, in Tampa Bay, Florida. So I'm giving a talk tomorrow in... um, and then off to Dallas. My son's graduating from TCU this week, this Saturday. Woohoo! Finally, the last one, Nick. The last one. Well, congratulations and congratulations to your bank Thanks. account. I'm sure your bank account will be very, very happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, today we want Absolutely. to talk about we want to talk about culture, and let's just uh, just explain what culture means to me, and then we can get a little bit deeper into it. But culture really refers to values attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors. And these behaviors shape a team's identity. And both Jim and I have been coaches of of various teams of various sports. And how that team behaves, not only on the field, but off the field. And a team's culture can be influenced by so many different factors. Not only, of course, the head coach, but by the players, parents, peers, everything around it. And culture to me is one of the main keys is how we handle adversity because for every team, we all love winning. We all love crushing our opponents. We all love being on top, but it's when we're not on top that to me, the culture of the team really comes to the fore. Jim Madrid, culture to you. Wow. You know, uh, well put. Uh, very well put. Uh, I, I don't know if I can add much more to that, except for um, you're, you're right. It's developed by the coaches. Uh, it's developed by the individual players. But then, you know, as in business, you have all these subcultures also. And I think it's really important uh, that coaches understand that, you know, when they bring in guys like you and I to help, you know, in the middle of the season, it's a little bit more difficult because the culture is already ingrained in the season. Would you agree, Nick? It's, it's just like it's ready to go. And so now you want us to come in mid-season. And like you just said, it really, the culture really comes through when, you know, when faced with adversity, you know, and now you really see this. And that's where some coaches and even in businesses, they say, hey, can you come in and help us out? Well, come on now, you know. Uh, you put us in a little bit of a different, you know, difficult situation. Yes. Can we help? Yes. But our advice right now is start it before the season, even, you know, get, get your culture together and work on that prior to the season beginning. And then it sets, I had one coach, uh, DOC called me up and said, can you do one on a workshop around, um, uh, what was it? Uh, arguing between coaches, uh, you know, and, and players and parents and all that. And I said, you know, conflict resolution. And I went, uh, yeah, I can. But you should have done that at the beginning of the season. Now you want me to come in and do that for you right now. I'd rather not. Uh, I'd rather you not spend your money on something like that because it's a little too late. So, you know, it, it's um, 
you know, I, I, uh, hats off to Coach Kirsch at J. Sarah High School. I, I was thinking about that on the plane out here uh, last night. And the culture there was starting with Eric, Coach Kirsch, the head coach. But there was eight of us on the coaching staff. And I got hats off to all those coaches that I coached with last year. Because none of us, do we all have egos? Nick, you and I have egos, don't we? Mm -hmm. But we keep them in check. But we keep it in check. And what I see is, I, I see that when the head coach, and I always say speed of the leader, speed of the team. And if the head coach hasn't got an open mind, this is the way it is, it, forever and ever, amen. You know, it's all, I've always done it that way, not learning new things. And, I'm, you know, and to be a little bit open-minded. And, you know, I always go back to, I think the prime example of great leadership was Ziggy Schmidt. And you, both, you and I both know him very well. God rest his beautiful soul. And to bring in somebody like me to get in the heads, and I remember the first session that I did with the team, Ziggy asked me, would it be okay if he sat in the session? And I... Uh, my self-talk, I got to tell you, Nick, my self-talk went, Ziggy Schmidt's asking me if it's okay for him to sit in my session with his team. Mm -hmm. Now, to me, that's great leadership. Uh, meaning me or anybody else, Nick, that he gave credibility to that person that, yes, I don't know that piece. This person does know that piece. Uh, whether it be the mental part or the technical part or the tactical part or the physical fitness or nutrition or whatever, you know, it's those coaches like Ziggy, like Eric Kirsch, that can be open-minded enough and to have the self-esteem and the, and the, and the strong, you know, self security that they're good with themselves and they do understand that they don't know everything. Now that's, that's a culture that begins right there at the beginning of the season with that head coach. Then that coach brings in similar others to his way of thinking that, Hey, uh, the other coaches on the team were that way. Uh, Chris Henderson, who's now over at, uh, you know, in Miami, he was that way. I mean, he was the one that was really vital in bringing me in to meeting Ziggy to begin with. But you look at some of those, you know, coaches that you've dealt with in the past that have that open mindedness to let us come in and work with their team. Um, and by the way, my first session there came up and, and even Adrian Hanauer, the owner of the uh, of, of the Sounders, he even asked, is it OK? I go, guys, it's your team. But how about this? Let me. Yes, sit in. But there's going to be a part where I'm going to ask you guys to leave. Is that OK? And they said, well, yeah, well, sure. And, you know, and the results were there and the results like with Eric last year was there. That culture went all the way down into the team. No negative self-talk. It created an environment, an optimistic, I would call it a realistic, optimistic culture. In other words, uh, expect the best, but be prepared for the worst. How are you going to respond to setbacks and challenges? Well, let How me, are you going to respond? Let me ask this, and, Jim. So go ahead. You, you, you're talking about um, the beginning of the season because, you know, like you say, jumping in mid-season, such a challenge because uh, rules, 
uh, cultures, traditions have already been established. So beginning of the season, mm-hmm. as a coach, I'm a new coach. I've, I've, this is my first coaching job. I really don't understand mm-hmm. culture. Where is my blueprint, Jim? You know, I may have, I may have some ideas. I may have some experience of being a player, but where is my blueprint? Who can I, who can I look to to help me lay down the tracks? Now, obviously, the the, the tracks, the, the tracks can move a little bit, but I, I, I need. I need an A to Z of how to develop culture. Where where do I go? Where do I start? I'm clueless. <laughs> uh, astacademy.com. Um, and we're not the only ones in the space. Uh, there's plenty, and they're all good. I, I can't sit there and, and say there's competition. I, I look at everybody in, in my space, uh, AST space, in the mental side, as associates. Every one of them are very, very good. Today on LinkedIn, Tom Beyer, you know, Soccer Starts at Home author and um, is in Japan, been working over there for many, many years. He came up with an op-ed today about culture eats strategy for for breakfast. And so there's plenty of places uh, to look. And if you're a brand new coach, uh, yeah, we'll, we definitely, uh, we shine in that space, but there's plenty of other people too uh, that are out there that can help. And I think if you just dig in, you know, I think you just, a coach these days needs to do their due diligence. You've got to be so much more than just the technical and tactical part. Um, and, and, you know, post COVID, uh, you know, the, the scar tissue that is, you know, on these student athletes, uh, coaches, parents, all of us, uh, the scar tissue left over from there uh, is, you know, it, it, it's extreme right now. And, you know, they're looking for something. And there is plenty of resources out there uh, to, you know, but you have to look into it. You have to dig into it and say, okay, and then decide for yourself which program or process or company or personality or whatever works for you. You know, who are you comfortable with? That brings me into, you know, my challenge, uh, you know, my journey this last year, Nick. Is it okay if we talk about that? Absolutely. Um, for some of you that don't know, April 1st of 2022, um, I went to the hospital. I coughed up some red stuff in the morning. My wife said, let's go to the hospital. Three days later, I was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And... You know, at my house, <laughs> there's been a culture of Jim Madrid, <laughs> you know, since the day my kids were born, right? And so, um, and my wife of 30 years, um, she's incredible. And when we found out, um, you know, when the doctor came in and, and told us, you know, bedside in the hospital that weekend, that, you know, stage four pancreatic cancer. And of course, my wife and I, we hugged, uh, we cried. Was I scared? Nick, I still am. Mm-hmm. And so, but we got on the phone. We have five children. And we got on the phone and I said, Darcy, you're going to have to um, tell them. And when Darcy said, we're in the hospital and your father's been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. My daughter, uh, Devin, uh, broke down crying. I could hear her yell, oh no. 
oh no. Um, the boys, the older boys, uh, their girlfriends and wives told me later that um, they were sniveling. I mean, they had tears coming down their eyes. And my wife said immediately, today's about crying. Tomorrow we go to work to support your father to beat this thing. And she ended that conversation with this. All that's going to do, all this is going to do is give us stronger legs for bigger strides. Now that's culture and the and and my team <laughs> my family rallied they rallied by the time i got home two three days later there were signs on the front door that said positive talk only beyond this door uh, coming through the front door coming through the garage door coming from the side door coming in from the back door um there were posters in the uh, we've been in our neighborhood for 27 years so a lot of neighbors know who we are and what's going on with me um, she had a yard sign out there that said, you've got this, Jimmy, hashtag Team Madrid. Um, signs in the house that said, good vibes only. A uh, picture of me with good vibes only. Those were around. Crystals, my daughter's really into, uh, and I, I, I believe in energy too, of, of course. And there was crystals there. My daughter showed up in the hospital that very same day, and she came in. It was just her and I. And she said, Dad, you need to remember one thing. And I go, what's that? She goes, you're Jim Madrid. And so my, I always say my wife turned the light switch on and my daughter and my, the, the, the kids turned that light on brighter. And we went to work right away. But see, that was culture. That was already there. We've developed that you know, support system and love and support you know, since the day these kids were born. And, you know, Darcy is absolutely incredible. And we went to work on it, but it was the support system that we set up that, that came. My brother, my sister came down, my nieces, nephews came down. It was organized chaos for the first two to three weeks. And because of that, and because of that support and the process that we put in place, um, four weeks later, Nick, um, the doctor called us up and said, good news. And by the way, I've seen a total of five oncologists all together. They said, good news. It's not pancreatic cancer, no chemo. It's lung cancer. So yay me, <laughs> uh, lung cancer. And that um, they're just putting me on a drug. Yes, it stage four, it had metastasized. Yes, it was in my pancreas. Yes, it was, it, it, you know, it was in my liver and a little bit in my sacrum. But it was the attitude we took, the attitude I took, I had a choice. And I think every day we wake up and we've got a choice. And the choice is, the choice is, I could either take that as a death sentence or an opportunity to triumph. And I took the opportunity to triumph. And I think so many times that we get clobbered and we get knocked down and we get roadblocks in front of us. And people just don't understand there's a choice to make. I could either put my chin to my chest, which we've seen so often when athletes make mistakes or teams loses or after a goal is scored and chin goes to chest. And then we start pointing fingers. Whose fault is it? Whose fault was that? And you see it on the pitch all the time. I look for body language. After a score is made, I want to see the defending team. How do they respond? to each other right away. 
And that tells me that defines what kind of culture there is. Good question to ask. And by the way, just to end that story about me, I'm doing very, very well. In fact, I'm here in Tampa. I gave a talk to a group, excuse me, uh, a group of people uh, back in March and an association person was there and they've asked me to tell the same story um, about my journey this last year at this conference um, tomorrow morning. But I look at culture and I think that when you see somebody and you ask the question, you know, Nick, at halftime, you're down 2-1 and you know your team hasn't been playing well and haven't been playing up to its potential, okay? Mm-hmm. So I always look and ask the question, give me one word to the team. Give me one word um, that would help us be more competitive in the second half. So put yourself in that situation, Nick. You're down 2-1, and you're one of the players. Frustrated uh, that we should be winning. We, you know your team's not playing well. And what word, just make up a word. What word would you give me? Um, energy. Okay. And then my question is, why did you say that? Give me an explanation why you said that. We're lacking you know, we're lacking intensity, so we need to we need to pick up our energy, pick up our, our, our passion. And and if we don't do that, we're gonna continue to be steamrolled. So I think you know we've we've gotta we've gotta look into each other's eyes and find that spark that's gonna light the fire for us to go out in the second half and perform with energy. Okay. So now you, knowing you, I kind of figured you'd answer a little bit that way. Um, but you went from, um, you, you vacillated between optimism and pessimism. Hmm. And I'll tell you how, because it is human nature for us to look back where the problem was. My question was, what's one thing we could be doing better uh, to get back and be more competitive in the second half. And you said energy. I said, why do you say that? You went because we didn't have any energy. I would answer it because when we add a put uh, our foot on the cast, the energy would take us and this is what we would do. So what we teach is be that end result thinker. Mm-hmm. So if we did that, this is what would happen. It's like, your present thoughts determine your future. It's the game of golf. You make a mis- you, you you got a bad shot. You put it in the sand, and you you can carry that. Now you got to get out of the sand. Are you still thinking about that lousy ass shot you just put in the sand, <laughs> or are you thinking about what you got to do to get, place your feet right, to get your club swing, you know, club head right, blah blah blah, fall through, blah, everything to get out of the sand and up onto the green. Okay. So that's what you should be. You leave that one alone. Let's energy mm-hmm. with more energy. We could put more pressure on them. We could make them turn the ball over. We can control the game and we can be playing our game instead of their game. Follow me. Love it. Now that starts. Yeah, that starts the steam ball rolling. Just like you just said, then we can come in and start pushing them around and doing playing our game. 
So you went from one to the other. Hardly ever anybody who does that. Usually, and even with team, the players, they go to that side. Later on, when that optimistic, I call it a realistic optimist, right? Uh, optimism. And that is expect the best, but be prepared for the worst. So I'm going to, uh, we're going to add more energy, uh, communication. We're going to start communicating a little more because when we start communicating more, we know where each other's at. We're more organized. We're, we're going to connect more of our passes. We're going to blah, 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 blah. Okay. Now that's going through their head instead of reliving the past mistakes. What would you rather them do? Relive the past mistakes or be able to see and visualize and those words that we use because we think human beings, we think in 3D words, pictures, and emotions. Now, yes, you can talk about failure, and there are those rare, rare moments where you know a, a negative situation turns into a positive, you know, outcome and a positive affirmation. And that's what that can happen. Well, if we did this, boom, this is what's going to happen. So over time, that becomes your culture. And I'd rather have a realistic, uh, optimistic culture than a realistic, pessimistic culture. Two very extremely different ways of looking at things. And you can, when you watch a team, um, I don't care what sport it is, you can see how do they respond to setbacks. Very interesting study by Dr. Martin, uh, Martin uh, Seligman, Dr. Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania, where back in the uh, mid eighties, he did a study and he determined, and you can go on to uh, his, um, at University of Pennsylvania and take an assessment to actually see, it's free, to see what kind of a pessimist or optimist that you really are. And when he did this uh, research, he followed um, the Boston Celtics around for a season. And during that season, he was able to accurately predict a win or a loss of the next game based on how the team explained their win or their loss. Wow. Just based on that. And so, you know, and it was the way that they explained it. Um, the other team was really good. Um, we, we suck at uh, rebounds. Uh, we, you know, so he, he beat the odds makers, by the way, on picking games and losses that year. The, the name of his book is Learned Optimism. Everybody, um, everybody should read wrote, this book, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And then another, another one of his uh, books following up on that was called, um, is called Authentic Happiness. And, you know, you've heard the, the uh, you know, when you go to bed at night, write three things you're grateful for. That started with Dr. Seligman, with Martin. And uh, that's where I got my certification for positive psychology was from uh, University of Pennsylvania and Dr. Seligman's program. I've known him. Uh, associated with him since about the early 90s. Jim, you, you spoke about... But that to me is culture. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you used a, uh, a word, um, affirmations. And right. people, there's, 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 a, there's an affirmation I use. My affirmations work for me whether I believe they will or not. There is something, there is something there about affirmations. And... I've worked with many kids, adults, teams, businesses, and you know we talk affirmations and 
I think 20% of people think you're absolutely cuckoo birds. Uh, like 40% are not sure. And then the, the other 40 go, I think there's something there. Talk about the power of affirmations and, and how the words do have the power to change the way you think and to be able to bring things into your life that perhaps wouldn't come without the use of affirmations. Okay, so um, it's an interesting study. And there was a study done at uh, Harvard. And I'm trying to remember what year it was. Um, 3% of Harvard MBAs make 10 times as much as the other 90% combined. Or why 3% of Yale MBAs make 10 times as much as the other 90% combined. It was a study done by them and there was a power of written goals. And it was like, um, it was was 1979, graduates of the, I'm just looking it up. Set clear written goals for your future and more plans to accomplish them. The results of that question were, only 3% had written goals and plans. 13% had goals, but not in writing. 84% had no specific goals at all. The 13% who had goals, but not in writing, were earning an average twice as much as the 84% of those who had no goals at all. The 3% who had clear written goals were earning on average 10 times as much as the other 97%. So what does that tell you? (laughs) You know, and what we teach is to writing those goals out in affirmation form. So you've got the 3%. then there's the ones that set goals, but don't write them down. Then there's the ones that set goals and write them down. Then there's the high achievers <clears throat> that um, set goals, <clears throat> write them down and carry them with them. So that was another thing. So we instituted that. I instituted that years ago. And I have players uh, from the professionals to collegiate to high school to youth Um we asked them to write their three goals for the game and fold them up and put them in their sock. Now, why? <clears throat> and research says, uh, look, we, we as human beings have somewhere between 50 and 70,000 thoughts a day. Whoever sat around and thought, counted, I have no idea what a boring job. But, uh, <laughs> but you can't keep your goals. Uh, oh, I got my goals. They're right here in the front of my brain. No, they're not. With everything that's going on during the day, all the different things that are happening. Yeah, your goals are right at the top. So out of sight, out of mind. And so the whole idea of writing the goals down and putting them on a three by five card and putting them in their sock. I've got water polo players that put them in their hat, their, you know, in their, uh, in their cap. And, you know, football players from the pro levels um, to, you know, to high school to youth. Now, affirmations are written out in the first person, present tense, and positive. Um, I'll give you an idea. Let me pull them out here. Hold on. My affirmations. um, My body is capable uh, of healing itself. Um, I lead my life to serve others. I am uh, strength. 
I am healthy. I have a beautiful pink, fully functional lung. I have a beautiful pink, strong, fully functional pancreas. I have a beautiful pink, fully functional, strong liver. And those are, I carry those around with me all the time. They're in my pocket. So, you know, I, I put my hand in my pocket, flying out here yesterday, went to get my, uh, my lens cu- cleaner out of my pocket. I felt that. And I just visualized for a second about my lungs being clear. At the very beginning, my, the mass in my lung was over five centimeters. Um, back in January, I've had scans every three months. Um, my scan um, in January was that it was down to 1.9 centimeters from, you know, and collectively it's been going down all year. I just had a scan last Friday, uh, a week ago Friday, I mean. So last week I got the call and it's now down from 1.9 in January. It's down to 1.2 uh, three months later. Um, I asked the doctor, I'm on a targeted drug called Tegriso. I take it every day. And I asked the doctor back in August, when will, excuse me, back in October, when do I get to get off this drug? She said, oh, Jim, uh, until they find a cure for the cancer. And I said, well, that means I'll just have to cure the cancer myself. And she goes, I just love the way you think. I gave a talk last June in Park City, Utah, to a group of uh, chiropractors, real high-end chiropractors. Uh, I talked about what was going on, pretty weak. And you know me, um, you've seen me healthy and you've seen me, you know, what I'm going through. And, you know, I lost 25 pounds. So a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Fowdy, uh, Mike Fowdy, he um, accompanied me. He's my chiropractor, Julie Fowdy's brother. He was the chiropractor for the uh, 99 team. And after I got done doing my talk, at lunch, this young lady came up to me and said, you know, my mother had lung cancer. And I said, had lung cancer? And she said, yes. I said, what happened? Well, she's alive. I went, okay, good. (laughs) And then I said, what happened? She said, well, they put her on this drug and she's cancer free. I said, what was the name of the drug? She said, Tegriso. Michael dropped to his knees. Um, I just had tears up. So if that lady can do it, I know I can do it. And if I can do it and I can go through this and other people like me that conquer uh, a devastating, you know, terminal, uh, you know, uh, uh, diagnosis and prognosis uh, that um, if I can do this, hell, we can get over losing a game and we can we can respond and we can be resilient enough to say, okay, now we're going after it. Um, my first thing I told my family was watch what I do with this. Just watch what I do with this. Jim Madrid, the founder of the AST Academy, the power of culture, the power of affirmations. Go to the astacademy.com for more. And of course, on Cal South, we have so many fantastic programs. There's the referee education, coaching education, and of course, the jewel in the crown, the ODP program. Jim Madrid, as always, so great to have you on the Bear and the Bull. You're going to be back next week, right? Yes, sir. Nick Webster, you're the man. I appreciate it so much.
For more on Cow South, please go to cowsouth.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can also find me on Twitter, at Nick Webster. This is The Bear and the Ball, and we will be back next week. Jim, 